Well, here we go. We come to one of those passages that's um, very difficult. And I've been nervous and very vulnerable the whole week because I think, what is the angle that we take when we talk about plagues and God's judgments? And what is, what is something that we can do and that is still available for us to, to think and embrace from this, from the 21st century perspective? So, um, I'm quite nervous, but at the same time, I'm very convinced that there is some things that we can really learn today from scriptures. Um, also, the next 20, 25 minutes don't do us any favor in exploring and developing. So for those of you who would want to have a further conversation, I'm more than happy to look at this together during the week. For those of you who've got questions, please, please do not leave it there. But as we said, we've been journeying as a church a little bit through the Old Testament. And um, in the last three weeks, we've been looking at this group of people who've been in bondage as a result of God's favor showed to Joseph. And as their times and years and 400 years have gone by, these people, this group of people who had been in exile in Egypt have become troublesome and have become a threat for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians themselves. And therefore... They need to endure some punishments. They need to endure some um, strict rules from Pharaoh to continue their building work and all, all that comes with that. But at the same time, God is raising up a leader that is going to bring these people out of bondage to deliverance. And he has called Moses out in the lands of Goshen, just shepherding his sheep, speaking clearly to him, he says, Moses, I've got a plan for you, and I've got a plan for my people. So go back to Egypt, and go and deal with a deliverance that I'm just about to provide for my people, so they can go and serve and worship me. And the last three Sundays, we've just been looking as well as the way that Moses has been kind of formed and has been gaining this courage, gaining all these things that have to do with leading this group of people out of Egypt. So there has been this sense of formation in, in Moses as he comes to this point. And today we come to the difficult part of Moses starting to confront Pharaoh, who actually was considered to be a god in Egypt in those days. Moses coming to the place of actually where the rubber hits the road. What we're going to do today, we just, I know that we've asked you to read the chapters because we don't have the time here, but I just wanted to read nine verses uh, from, just to get a feel of what's going on 
and just the intensity of the whole situation. So if we can open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 9, we're just going to be reading from chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. And I'd like for somebody to... Colin, can we have the slides, please? I'd like a volunteer to read these verses, please. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of all the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. All this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. So, there we are. We've got Moses going to confront and ask Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go from Egypt to a place where God wanted to take them and worship him. In verse 1 of chapter 9, there is very clearly that there is something going on here for Moses himself. And I just wanted to connect this with the, connect, with the revelation that Moses had in Exodus chapter 3. Because I think this is what Moses needs to fulfill this ministry that God has given him. And it's very clear that the same name and title that is used for, Mo, for God saying, I am who I am to Moses in chapter 3, comes again as a fresh revelation to Moses. And it says, this is what the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the God of Hebrews, says. This is the authority, remember that we spoke about two weeks ago, that you're going to face Moses. This this week I've just been wondering, where did Moses find the guts with Aaron to go and see a king who is considered to be God and declare that he is in trouble if he doesn't comply with the God of Israel? 
And that's why I said earlier on that all this time has served to help Moses form not only his identity, but his authority, that actually he is coming now to face these difficulties, not on his own power, not on his own abilities, but directed by somebody who is God, Lord. It's powerful. So, the plagues. There is nine that we're going to be looking today. Um, And basically, again, I just wanted to um, review them with you because I know you've, you've read. And while we are kind of going through the plagues, we're good to, to, to know uh, what was the reason why God sent these plagues to Egypt. And I think the bottom line of this is that God really wanted to expose, but at the same time discredit the gods of Egypt. So here we're going to deal today with nine plagues. The first one is where River Nile is turned from water to blood. Exodus chapter 7. The second plague is the frogs. If we said that this was also to expose and discredit the, the gods with the first plague... Um, the Egyptians were worshipping a god called Hapi. It was the bull god, the god of the Nile, Isis, goddess of Nile, ram god, guardian of Nile, and others god that were to, to do with it. Frogs, well, they were considered goddess of birth, and the, the goddess of birth had a frog head. Then we had the nuts. The third plague. Constantly God is saying, go to Pharaoh and tell them to let my people go so they can serve me. And Pharaoh kind of opposes that. The third plague is the nuts. And this was also to expose and discredit the god of the desert, called Set. I've got them here. I don't know them all by heart. So the fourth plague was an invasion of the whole land through flies. Um, Basically, this was again to expose and to discredit the gods, the sun gods, which was represented by the fly. The fifth plague was the way that the Egyptians' livestock died. And again, exposing and discrediting the goddess of um, the Egyptians, which had the cow heads, and was Apis, the bull god, symbol of fertility. The sixth plague was the boils. Again, this was to oppose and the, yeah, oppose and um, the goddess with the power over disease. 
Then it was the hail. This was not the sky goes. Then was locusts. Again, this was to um, expose another goddess, the goddess of crops and fertility. Darkness, again, the sun god, Horus, a sun god, not a sky goddess, Hathor, a sky goddess. So here we've got all the nine plagues. We've got the tenth one that we're going to be dealing next Sunday. And, you know, we know that's the death of the firstborn son. So, in all of this, God is trying to expose the gods and the goddesses of Egypt and discredit them because, remember, he said to Moses, I am is sending you to go and deliver those people from Egypt. So, the question that I've got today is for us. And it's based on the, the reality that if we see very clearly from the passage here, is that in his formation, as God was working in Moses' life, Moses comes to this place and lets God, I think that needs a a nest there, sorry. Moses lets God be God, despite the intensity of the plagues. What does that mean? Well, We can ask questions now, and we can say, well, why would God allow for these people to be tormented through the plagues? Where is God in his justice? Where is God in his righteousness? Where is God in his power? And if God really wanted to bring out the Israel out of Egypt, why didn't he find other ways of doing this? And these are questions that are valid, really. But actually, in the same time, when we ask those questions, I'm afraid that we've got a very partial view of all the attributes of God. And I think this is the danger of having a sermon on these passages, because one of the reasons why I felt very nervous and vulnerable today is that by dealing with one attribute... And by not dealing with it in the right way, you might nullify another attribute of God's character. And it's a very difficult task. So here we are. Moses being faced to go and see Pharaoh. And he comes to this place of letting God be who he is. Letting God be sovereign. And this is a very difficult concept to understand. Actually, for me, it's a very difficult concept to understand. Last time, I preached about God's sovereignty. Our house was burned in Albania. It was on the same Sunday that I was encouraging God's 
to trust and believe God's sovereignty. So I, I don't say this very easily. But where do we understand and how do we understand that God is in the same time all-powerful, all-merciful, all-lovely, in the same time the judge, the Lord of hosts, And how do we come to grips with the reality that actually, as much as we want to understand God in all who He is, in the end of the day, we are asked to work, to walk in this way of faith. I'm not going to deal a lot with that this morning. But I just wanted to, to throw it in because I think the revelation that Moses has is, is mind-blowing because God says to him, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. And now Moses is in the place to come and say this to Pharaoh himself. I am who I am, has sent me to you to let my people. Perhaps I'm not understanding why I'm telling you this, but I have to be obedient. So there is a lesson for that. Where did Moses find the voice? to speak on behalf of the Lord and confront such a big power as Pharaoh. Is there anything that we can learn from the Old Testament as a 21st century church today? So where is the place that we as God's people find our voice today? Where is the place that we get that formation to make us bold to actually stand up for the mandate that Jesus has given us to stand up? Where do we stand up for injustice? Where do we stand up for God's love? How do we have the guts and the voice? And where do we find that? Do we find that in who God is, in this mysterious, all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty God? Or where do we find our voice in our own practices, in our own programs, in our own things that actually we're comfortable with? I don't think it's the case here for... I'm pointing at the A4 pieces of paper. I mean the Bible. I don't think it's the case here for Moses. He gets the voice from that fresh revelation and that strong conviction that actually, knowing the situation with Pharaoh, he's going to bring out the Israel.
guess we can talk about God's justice, we can talk about God being judged, but in the same time, I think even when we talk about grace, we overemphasize things about grace, which actually we don't tell the whole truth about grace. And I was reading about grace this week because I thought, how do we bring grace in this situation when actually everything looks so bleak because God wants to fulfill his plan? And I came across a quote from Bonhoeffer. He was persecuted under the uh, German dictator Hitler. And in the end he died. And Bonhoeffer has got um, a quote about cheap grace. And he says... Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus living and incarnate. Strong words. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that if we base the grace of God in our limited understanding, we're still missing out on the power of this mystery. Because grace in itself is a mystery. The second thing that I want to touched this morning is about Pharaoh. And if you look at the reaction that Pharaoh has got to, um, I'll just make a, a note of all the responses that Pharaoh has to all the plagues. With the first one, with the Nile turned into blood, he did not listen to the request that the Israelites had to be released. With the frogs, he agreed to let the people go if the frogs were taken away. With the nuts, he refused to listen to his magician's suggestion. Do you remember? The magician said, this must truly be the finger of God in this situation. With the flies, he suggested the Israelites would not leave the land, but they were allowed to sacrifice um, with within the borders of Egypt. With the death of livestock, he refused Moses' request. With the boils, he refused Moses' request. With the hail, he promised to let the Israelites go if the rain and the hail were to stop. With the locusts, he offered to let only the men go. With the darkness, agreed that people could go, but not their animals. And you see this reaction going up and down. Yes, there is certain verses. Actually, there are ten verses that talk about Pharaoh hardening his heart. And there are also ten verses in Exodus that talk about God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. 
And we can go into that if you want it. But the point of the method that I want to bring from Pharaoh here is that actually there is this tendency that's when it really gets difficult, you come to grips with the reality that maybe you can come to God, but not truly, really. Now, what is that picture of a machine gun doing on my slides? 1997, Albania. We had a civil war. I've never seen our churches be so full. I've never seen any more eager response from people. Do you know why? Because it was anarchy. There was no government, no police. Anybody's life was threatened just at the point of machine guns. All the people were armed. And it was such a confused situation it made people come to grips with the reality that perhaps the God that released us from communism truly exists. So let's have a second think about that. But that lasted only for the time that we were in an anarchy. Once the Things were put into place, order was put into place, police came into power, government came into power. Hey-ho. And I'm just wondering that our human tendencies are a little bit like pharaohs. That we come to that place that we recognize that actually the whole land is covered by hail and fire. We're in trouble. Oops. Let's go and search for something that is going to comfort and be our teddy bear for the time being. Is there something that we can learn from these fluctuating tendencies? Well, I have. But I'll leave that with you. The third lesson, third point that we can learn from all of this is that from the beginning, God intended for these people to be set apart from him so they can serve and worship him. How realistic this phrase is, I'm not sure. Because you look at the history, we know the whole Old Testament And you look at the history of these people who had everything. And they still missed the point. And one of the reasons why they missed the point is that they took their Jehovah, that Lord with L-O-R-D, for granted. As much as God really wanted to set this group of people free so they could go and serve and worship him, they tried that. And you'll see that after the release of Egypt, there are moments that they go back to Moses and say, why did you bring us back? We want to go back to Egypt. We'd rather be under the 
bondage of Pharaoh. Serving and worshipping God is freedom. Is there something that we can learn from this church of God? Can you think of that moment in your life where you felt free? You felt a big weight come off your shoulder because you decided to put God first. Perhaps I don't need to remind you today because you hold that dearly to your heart. Or perhaps you think that you are in bondage and you are not sure what to do. And God says, I want to set you free. And that service may look like whatever God calls you. But God wants to set his people free so they can worship him. So when they say, Lord, they come to that place of saying, yes, I worship you. Then when they face the Almighty, they come to that place when Moses is being confronted and saying, take off your sandals. You are standing on holy ground. If there is anything that I want for you guys to take home today and this week, is go with that tone that actually God is calling each and every one of us to serve and worship him. And actually, that is freedom. The question is, do we want to stay in Egypt? Or do we want to go to the land that he has promised, where we are free to worship him? Let's pray together. Take this word, Lord. Meditations, the challenges, the promptness, and whatever is going on in our hearts. Eternal it, Lord. Transform it. Renew it. For the sake of your glory. Thank you, Lord, that as individuals and as a church, Lord, you are in a journey with us. And I want to say, Lord, that I don't want to take you for granted in our journey. I want to say, Lord, as a congregation, we don't want to take you for granted. So we do come, Lord, before you. And we ask that you bring us a fresh a revelation of who you are, afresh of how you want to set us free so we can worship you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of you we can come today to the throne of grace and we say, Lord, that despite of all the messing up of the past, despite of all our, despite of our history of 
failing to follow you and worship and serve you. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is available. And we want to recognize today, Lord, and we want to acknowledge and we want to thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit.